You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Christine Stiles. She's talking to me from Durham, North Carolina. Christine, thanks so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Christine, since it's September 3rd in 2021, um, what's happening in, in Durham at the moment? How is the, the pandemic panning out there? Is, there? is there anything in particular that's, that's changing? We're starting the new school season, and it's, of course, um, uh, kind of tentative, it seems. What exactly will happen? What's, what's happening there? Yes, um, it is rather um, unpredictable at the moment. So Duke uh, was really one of the first in the nation to go uh, online when the pandemic broke out last year. But uh, we have now been asked and pretty much required to go back into the classroom. I managed to uh, not do that this fall because I'm teaching a seminar that's uh, primarily graduate students on trauma in art, literature, and film. And I made the argument that I, I, I should add here that everyone's required to wear masks in the classrooms. So I made the argument that I could not possibly teach a class on trauma that is itself traumatizing to some students with everyone masked because I couldn't see their faces and read their body language. And I was given permission to teach online, so I'm teaching my seminar online. But if you look at the statistics in North Carolina, uh, our infection rate is really going up. We're, We're one of the not quite dark red states, but a red state. So um, everyone's trying to be very careful, but uh, it's hit and miss, as you know. Mm, absolutely. And, um, and to talk about your work, the, the class also sounds interesting, which we'll get to, but I know you started as an artist. So how did, how did that, that um, evolution happen as an artist to uh, professor of art history and visual studies at, at Duke? Thank you for asking that question. So few people know that I started as an artist. Um, I was a painter. I started painting in high school, and um, I painted myself as an African-American. And I did that for quite a long time until I was told um, by African-American women colleagues, artists, that I couldn't do that. And I stopped, that's when I stopped painting. But, and that was in the uh, early 70s. And then um, I had also worked in conceptual art. I was really impressed as an undergrad with Joseph Kosuth's work. And so I worked in a kind of, I guess it would be called socially engaged practice at that time. And I was lucky to have a show actually at the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Francisco in 1978. and what I had done is collected uh, an article and a photograph from the San Francisco Chronicle. I was in San Francisco at the time and a student at Berkeley, grad student. And I had pasted those two, those article, the article and the photograph to two sides of a board for every single day of the year. And then at, at the museum, I 
I had these shelves attached to the wall that functioned as desks, and there were 12 for 12 months of the year, and a tape recorder, and asked people to record, but to look at the photographs and images, and to record autobiographical memories um, that were related to public their their relationship to public life in an international mediated culture. And I and what I was exploring in that work was just called questions. And I have a small book that I produced on the work on that conceptual work in the period seventy seven to eighty one, I guess it was. Um, I was really interested in how people uh, experience time in the relationship between their public and private selves in memory. And so that was one of the um, motivating uh, questions that the public was asked to record their their uh, views on it. And um, I also asked the question if it was even possible to do what I was trying to do, which was to reduce art to what I called an empty container, but open to be filled by content or memory by the public, private and, and public um, experiences. So that was a whole period also in San Francisco where uh, there were a lot of uh, punk clubs and um, I had a lot of uh, activity at that time in that context. And I also uh, was serving as Bruce Connors' assistant um, and I served with Bruce as a friend and assistant for almost a decade uh, before I moved uh, from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. in 1986. So that's really what I was doing um, as an artist for quite a long time. Uh, but I realized at a certain point that, um, especially when I was really working on my dissertation and traveling a lot in Europe, my dissertation was on Dias, the Destruction and Art Symposium, which took place in London in 1966, and there were something like 50 artists from many, many countries all over the world uh, that went to Dias and um, presented their work, and then there was a symposium in the middle of the month of September, and, the, and Dias took place over a whole month, and I reconstructed everything that everyone had done. <laughs> My dissertation, which I never could face again. By, by, by reconstructed, you mean you, you went over all the... I went over everything. I, found, I, I interviewed so many artists, and I found all the documents, and, and ultimately produced a 900-page dissertation <laughs> that I could never look at again. I, st I have never published it. Um, it. And this is because why? This is because it was so fascinating to you, that particular... It was incredibly interesting. It was. I mean, I met some of the most interesting artists in the world and um, got to be very close with Gustav Metzger, uh, Rafael Montadas Ortiz, uh, just a whole list of whole list of people. And it was it was pretty overwhelming um, because I was going back and forth between Europe and the U.S. and trying to make art, but then realizing I was more interested in doing this dissertation properly. Uh, and then, given all of the wildness of that period, right, that's the best I can say, it really took a toll on my marriage, and the marriage broke up, and I had to get a job, and I got my job at Duke. And 
that's about when I decided I really just couldn't do both my academic work and art. Oh, but I should add, I should add here, when I came to Durham in 1988, uh, right out of finishing the dissertation, um, there were, this town was, this is a booming city now, but in those days, when Duke's campus let out, you could literally walk a mile from Duke's campus to my home and never see a car or a person. <laughs> and all no. my friends were saying to me, what the heck are you doing there? And I said, oh, I'll be out of there in two years. <laughs> well, that was 33 years ago. Um, <laughs> Duke turned out to be really extraordinary. But what I'm getting to is um, I, because it was a ghost town, really, I applied for an MFA at um, the University of Cali uh, California of, of uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill uh, to get an MFA, and I was accepted. And so I started the second year that I was here, both teaching at Duke and then trying to get this MFA at <laughs> UNC. And um, some of the male faculty found out that I was uh, a professor at Duke. Apparently, they hadn't read my CV. Um, closely enough, and they forced me to resign because they said they couldn't have a student who was a, a professor with Ph.D. at Duke as one of their art students, and that really was the end. That was the end of my work as an artist because I just, I just gave up really. Well, you were in you were in a spot where you, you couldn't you couldn't move there. That was uh, that was kind of a, a a checkmate on their end. The idea that you you couldn't pursue your studies and have that at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was really that was it. It was checkmate. <laughs> well, and so and so then um, and so then you began teaching at Duke, and you said some extraordinary things happened there. It's it's been an amazing place for you in terms of Duke publishing is, and your yes, Duke is is. Um, I, I, it, it's, I'm extremely fortunate to have had this as my first job after getting my PhD and being able to stay here and, you know, become a full professor and um, everything that I've uh, had the great gift of Duke and its fine students and faculty and administration. I mean, I really can't complain at all. It, it, it's one of, the, one of the greatest universities in the country, and I'm lucky to be here. Well, that's great to hear. You know, I talk to a lot of professors, and, and, and that's not usually what I hear. Most, most professors are, are struggling with their universities, and, 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 and there's a lot of problems with universities and not supporting professors or, or keeping them on as adjunct. Um, it's good to hear a good story about uh, Duke is, doing, Duke is doing its best on all those levels. And the other thing I should add is that I have a remarkable um, group of colleagues. And we, together, since I came so long ago, um, built what was a very small department into a huge <laughs> a department that has um, art history, visual arts, digital arts, photography and, and and on and on so we are we have become really the largest department in the humanities and we're very successful students 
like working with us, and they have just immense opportunities. So, again, um, I'm, I'm very proud to be at Duke, and I'm very proud of Duke. And I love my colleagues. We all get along. That's the other thing. We get along really, really well. That, that seems so remarkable. I mean, you know, in full disclosure, I grew up in a, in a house with, with two teachers, and what I would hear every day at the, at the dinner table is, um, is complaints about university um, politics. You know, my father was the chairman of a music department. It wasn't as though he wasn't, didn't have tenure and everything else, but it just seemed that the politics were endless and frustrating, and that seems rare the position you're in there it is rare uh, that's not to say we don't complain (laughs) we we have our complaints but by and large uh it is as i as i have represented it and i think you could speak to any of my colleagues uh esteemed rick powell and and on and on and they would primarily tell you the same thing i mean we've had to argue for what we have um but we've also produced the students and we have a fantastic a doctoral program and and MA program and um, so it's not that we haven't had times when it was difficult. We've had chairs that were impossible at certain points, um, but we managed to move on and and stay collegial. Mm, that's so good to hear. Um, oh, really is. So, so. Yes, it's, 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 it seems remarkable. I, maybe it seems odd that I'm that I'm saying that so much, but I've talked to so many professors and hear the opposite that um, that that's just so refreshing to hear. So, so, so moving right to the course that you're that you're teaching there now, that as you said, which was very interesting, you know, masks on, you can't see what's what's happening or read their body languages because or language because we're talking about a class that. Um, since since it will touch on trauma and violence, could be, as we now say, triggering for some students, right? Could be upsetting. Um, can we talk a little bit about what's what's covered in that class? Oh yes, um, it, it it definitely does trigger. Um, but I I've been teaching it. I introduced it, gosh, over twenty five years ago, and. So I have a lot of experience in teaching it, and I can anticipate, you know, pretty much uh, what's going on with the students. Um, this semester, I have uh, 12 in the seminar, and um, most of them are grad students, but I do have a couple of undergrads. So we start out. Um, I, I the first uh, lecture. I mean, the first. Uh, let me back up. The seminar meets once a week, and it's two and a half hours. And so the first session, I really lecture on uh, the key texts that inform um, trauma studies. So Freud's screen memories, Freud's etiology of hysteria, uh, uh, Jeffrey Masson's book on Freud, um, uh, Robert J. Lifton, who is one of my heroes, um, I myself wrote a very early essay, 1992, on uh, entitled Shaved Heads and Marked Bodies, Representations of Cultures of Trauma, uh, which had a huge reception at that time. Um, I remember, well, I'll just leave that there. Um, we read... Um, 
Miriam Hirsch on post memory, Barbie Zelizer on forgetting to remember, remembering to remember, and remembering to forget. If you if you want, I'll, I can send you the syllabus. But we move on then to um, the Holocaust, and and I show them uh, about an hour and a half clips of Shoah, and they read. I mean, and they view Triumph of the Will on their own. And then they're assigned to read um, Sereni's book on the perpetrator. Um, and um, it, it's called Into That Darkness, Gita Sereni, Into That Darkness. And it's an incredible study of one of the major perpetrators of the Holocaust. And they also read Claudia Kuntz's The Nazi Conscience, chapters from that, and Mothers in the Fatherland, and Claudia teaches at Duke and was actually my first friend at Duke. So she's going to come to class on September 16th, and they'll, and they'll be able to talk to her about her work on um, on, on fascism and, and, and her amazing book, The Nazi Conscience. Well, both of them are. And then we move on from there to uh, Hiroshima, and we look at Bataille, um, and we talk, uh, they've got a text on second-generation uh, Hibaksha. Uh, we then, and they look at the film uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour. And then we turn to um, the Vietnam War. And in that context, they're reading parts of uh, Bellew's book, Bring the War Home, which is just a really amazing book. I, I recommend it to everyone. It, it, it really talks about how uh, the Vietnam vets came home and you know faced the horrible, horrible treatment they received in the U.S. and they came home with with trauma also. So it was like a double whammy there. And they read a text by me uh, called "Teaching a Dead Hand to Draw." It's on Vietnam. Uh, they view the film standard operating procedure. And then we move on to, <laughs> to more trauma, uh, the Cambodian genocide. And they look at um, this film uh, called S21, the Khmer Rouge killing machine. Uh, we also look at um, a film remembering Abu Ghraib torture scandal. And we are going to look at this time uh, a short video called What It's Actually Like in North Korea, which is really uh, uh, important to see, I think, in our time, especially with the fact that Trump was cozying up to, uh, to North Korea. And then we go on to um, Rwandan genocide and read and view Shake Hands with the Devil, uh, which is uh, about the courageous Canadian, uh, uh, I don't remember what his rank is in the military, but Romeo Dallaire's experience of being in Rwanda and being really one of the only uh, Western uh, people there to try and help with the war. Um, they're going to see his um, address when he got the Ely Weisel uh, award and that's on YouTube 
And then we go to um, racism. And they're reading chapters out of my uh, colleague's uh, uh, book, Out of the House of Bondage, that's Philolia uh, Glimpse, G-L-Y-M-P-H, incredible book, really. Uh, two chapters on the way that African-American women were treated by white women in their homes as, as slaves. Um, they're going to be looking at the Tulsa Massacre uh, material, all of the material that's coming out from that. And then we move on to lynching photographs and Emmett Till and uh, a really excellent um, psychoanalytic study called Black Psychological Functioning and the Legacy of Slavery. And we're looking at the incredible film uh, that just came out this year, Summer of Soul. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. Uh, it's about the, the music event that took place um, in New York City in the park uh, in 1969. And really, oh, it's just an amazing film, Summer of Soul. And then we turn to uh, Kathy uh, Park Hong's Minor Feelings about treatment of Asian Americans. And there, and in this section, we also look at um, uh, a read, a, a really excellent uh, article by Paul Shat Smith, Indian Art for Modern Living. And we're also looking at... Um, the horrible incidences of murdered indigenous women and queer and trans people. And then we go on to um, uh, more on LBGTQ, trauma and LBGTQ, and we look at, the, at, at child abuse as well, um, and the film Eileen, uh, Life and Death of a Serial Killer, uh, and this really fascinating uh, uh, film uh, called Capturing the Freedmans, um, which is a documentary. And they start reading uh, Robert J. Lifton's Destroying the World to Save It, which was about the cult in uh, Japan. Um, and then, let's see, we, we start to close up with... Um, MS-13 and gangs, along with uh, Lifton's Destroying the World to Save It. And we end with this absolutely fascinating study um, of uh, uh, an individual who, uh, Benjamin Wilkomirsky, who believes himself to have been a Holocaust survivor, but really had basically three lives. So that's the course, <laughs> and it, I, that's, I've taught it with, you know, you can see that it's updated with things like MS-13 and so on for all these years, and most of my students say it should be required at Duke. Wow. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's such an intense and, 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 uh, and powerful syllabus that I can uh, see would be I'll be happy to email you the syllabus for it if you'd like. Oh, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that, and I'll, I'll link to it here. So in this, in, in the time you've been teaching, I mean, the, the student body has changed a lot, right? What, what I often hear also, not to talk about too many past professors, but that, but that new students for some professors, students in the last decade, in the last four or five years, are, um, 
have difficulty, especially with these subjects, but of course other professors aren't presenting them the way you are, but it seems that these are the kind of subjects, this is the kind of uh, material that is, um, that is very volatile today, that's very easy to take issue with the teacher on uh, for being, um, you, you know, neglectful of the student's sense of, of, um, of, of being triggered. So, I mean, obviously you have this down. This is a course you've been teaching for years. And what I'm asking is in, in the last four years, has there been a change in, in, in how students view this particular course? Because how we view now violence and trauma seems to be different than how we viewed it 10 years ago, or at least in a kind of popular kind of sense. Um, you know, well, everyone who, yeah. Yeah, so um, let me just say that uh, this class is always 100% interactive. Um, I always lecture the first day, as I told you, just introducing fundamental uh, material by Freud and Janet and, and others, um, and Charcot, of course. But um, after that first day, all the students are required to present for at least 15 minutes. So, and then conversation comes out of that. So the two and a half hours are filled with their voices. And I simply modif uh, moderate it, add additional information where it's necessary, but it is their platform to deal with the material. And I can say that, to answer your question more specifically about in recent times, um, first of all, Duke's uh, student body has changed dramatically. It is... Uh, it is a very mixed student body. When I came here, I, I wrote uh, to San Francisco friends, it's all, all, bl all blondes. It, well, that isn't the case at all anymore. So my class is, is uh, full of all races and sexualities, and, and they are very open about talking about race and, and sex and identity and all of that. Um, some people even have their uh, pronouns up on the Zoom image of themselves so that people address them properly. So um, they talk about what they want to talk about. I'm able, again, I'm going to shout out for Duke and Duke students, I'm able to conduct the class this way because the students are so bright. And my experience is they just get brighter and brighter. Um, one of my former students is Andrew McCabe, who worked for the FBI. Um, and I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to brag on this one because um, I received a phone call one day from one of my colleagues who I had forgotten who Andrew McCabe was. And I, I hadn't thought about him in years. And I didn't know he was with the FBI either. And I got a call from one of my colleagues who said, uh, we had, I had Andrew McCabe here. Uh, to talk with the students, and one of the students asked him, what was your experience like at Duke? Who, and he said, well, my favorite teacher was Christine Stiles, and he went on to talk about that. So I got in touch with him and thanked him for that. <laughs> and, 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 but I can, I'm, I'm, I'm telling that anecdote because, and, and this just sounds, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna at all. 
I wouldn't be teaching trauma if that were the case. But the students right. at Duke are remarkable. And I let them do what they need to do. I let them say what they need to say. And then we have, we have discussions about it. And some of them are very uh, intense. But to me, that's the way, especially for graduate students, and, and as I said, most of the students this semester are grad students, um, that's, that, they're going to want to go on in the academy. They need to be able to talk about things in a, in a reasonable way and argue and debate, and they get to do that. That's fantastic. And, and you know, in terms of the arts, you know, um, I don't know if some of the students are also artists, but um, this idea of, of, of violence and trauma and, and, and so many things that you're talking about in, in art making itself has gone through changes over the yes. years, correct? Yeah. I mean, in, in one sense, you know, uh, Anne McCoy was, I interviewed her and she did some talks and she was a, a lecturer that, that, that taught at Yale and Bard art history, but she said, you know, there was an intolerance towards uh, Art as a transformative tool, art as a mystical or spiritual tool. It was, it was all um, based around French theorists and and the the notion that, um, you know, what art is as as an academic kind of pursuit, you know, in a sense, is um, is not about personal issues like trauma and violence. And of course, history says otherwise. But but she's saying like the current kind of academic. Um, framework is often leaves that out, often leaves out elements of, of uh, uh, spirituality, for lack of a letter word, but also, you know, Jungian, uh, you know, theories or, or ideas that, that, that the idea of, of trauma and recovery is almost taboo in, in, in art making. Is that something you, you find? Not at all. Not at all. And, and again, I'm going to praise my colleagues uh, because uh, they wouldn't, who are teaching film and who are teaching photography and who are teaching painting and so on, uh, they'd have nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing. I mean, all of them have, uh, without naming individuals, all of them have issues in their own lives. And all of us do. And, and again, because we have this very open, very collegial, Department, and I, I have to add here that Duke never tells us what we have to do or what we have to teach. We are every department at Duke is on their own. Now, not all the departments are as uh, independent as we are, uh, but we have always let every faculty person teach what he or she wants to teach. Period. And so, the the, the subjects are just all over the place. And and I don't know anyone who doesn't deal with emotional, philosophical, existential issues in any of the areas that we teach. Hmm. It's it's it, and it's always been that way. No one ever told us what we had to teach ever. So you can make up your courses um to my knowledge, I don't, I don't know of any students who've ever complained about our, our course content. Most of them are so thrilled to have real-world discussions in an intellectual context um, that we just haven't 
and, and, and let me put it this way. The students who don't like that don't come to us. You know, I'm sure right. there's plen- plenty of students at Duke who would just think would be appalled. But, but they, don't, they don't take our courses. So that's, that's so interesting and, and fascinating and, and really wonderful to hear, um, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of the, the, the student reception and the environment there. That sounds fantastic. And also, well, and the administration. Well, they're very much needed you know, for this kind of content, for this kind of course. That's administration. what you need that support. It's yeah. also the administration. Uh, they support us in that regard. I mean, that's not to say that we don't have arguments with them and we don't always get what we want and so on. I mean, everybody can nag and, and complain about those kinds of things, but by and large, what I'm saying is the case. It's so interesting and, and, and fascinating. Um, Christine, before I ask you the last question about what you're reading, uh, is there anything you, you want to add about the book. I'll have links in here to the, to the last book you've written, but is there anything else you, you want to add before, um, before well, I Well, yeah, I can say something that um, I write all the time. I, I have not written uh, monographs um, primarily because um, I started out working on the theories of contemporary art as a grad student working under Peter Sells at Berkeley. And, and, and so gathering artist writings, and then that book became really successful and went into a second edition, and Peter got old, so I did the second edition and added a whole lot more. But I never wrote about... I never wrote a monograph on artist writings. And I, last semester, I taught a course called Artist Writings and Philosophy. And it was so inspiring. Again, it was just another one of these marvelous experiences that I decided to, do, to write a monograph on that topic. And I'm, so I'm just really starting a, a folder for how I want to approach that book. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. But I, I came to that to say also that I have done lots of writing in uh, artist catalogs and artist um, um, and museum publications and so forth, and and have dealt with just a huge range of artists. I mean, from Bruce Connor, who, as I said, I was his assistant for so long, to a lot of Europeans like Don and Leah Perjovsky and. Um, Istvan Kanter and, and Jean-Jacques Lebel and Metzger and I just, I mean, I could just go on and on with names. Um, and that work to me is really important. I know that universities don't generally, and here I'm going to brag on Duke again, I didn't, didn't plan to do this, but um, most universities really require a monograph uh, for promotion. And I have not produced a monograph, but because my the books that I have produced and the writing extensive writing I've done on artists, I not only uh, was got tenure, but have have got this distinction as a as a professor. Um, and so Duke had a way of seeing another way of making an academic career. In my case. So again, I, I'm not I'm not a, the the typical person, and that's another reason I'm really excited to to write my monograph because I certainly don't want to retire without ever giving Duke a monograph, <laughs> even though they've never asked me for one. 
It's fantastic. It's good to hear. I'm glad you mentioned that. And um, I'm, of course, curious to know what you're reading now. Oh, gosh. I read, uh, you, you can probably tell from all the things that I've already said, that I, I have a voracious appetite for all kinds of things. So right now, um, I, and I have like five books going at the same time. <laughs> I'm reading Lantzman's The Patagonian Hare, which is his um, autobiography in a way um and i and i came to read him this right now because again i'm teaching showa um and i'm teaching uh another uh recent release of a film what is the name of it now i'm so excited i can't remember anything oh um what is the name of it of course i can't remember it right now anyway it's a new film that Oh, here. I think I know where I can find that. It's a new film that he actually did the interview for in 1975, but he didn't bring it out. It it hasn't been released until 2013, I think was the date. And the title of it is The Last of the Unjust. I highly recommend it. It's his interview, as he does in Shoah, but it's an interview only with Rabbi Benjamin Mermelstein, who was the last elder at Theresienstadt, and the, the camp. And it's incredibly interesting because the uh, people at Theresien camp uh, hated him. Uh, they, they said that he really uh, was part of the Nazi the Nazi uh, control of the camp. But, and, and he was brought up for, um, in, in trials twice and always exonerated. And he, he moved to Italy, and, and Lanzmann went there in 75 and interviewed him. And it's, he's the most fascinating man. Oh, and this is this kind of, this is kind of linking all the way back to the beginning of, of this discussion, too. Um, I'm so interested in, in that man, in Mermelstein. He's the most powerful, articulate, one of the most powerful, articulate people I've ever heard. And he gave all his reasons for what he did at Theresienstadt. And I've become kind of obsessed with him and have decided I'm going to start painting again and I'm going to paint Mermelstein in all kinds of ways. <laughs> and that's that. just, that just happened. So that, 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 that little tale comes out of now why I'm reading Lantzman's The Patagonian Hare. I'm also reading um, Phil Clay's uh, redeployment on uh, deploying American troops. I'm just about finished with The Sympathizer by Viet Tong Nhung, which is a great book. Um, I'm kind of wading through Soul Mountain. Uh, um, and uh, I started reading A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlo James. And it's, I mean, I'm used to violence, but it's, it's, it's a hard one. And then I just picked up uh, Mary Trump's uh, The Wreck. The Reckoning, America's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal, to see how she approached trauma. And, and that's pretty hmm. interesting, too. Oh, fascinating. 
Christine, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your work, your time, and um, I wish you well in your classes and also your your forthcoming paintings. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, it was a delight to um, speak with you and to think about all of this, and, and I'm glad that you had an interest. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.